So last week we started this series on idols. And I want to just kind of go back and catch you up a little bit on why we're doing this. If you're new to Exodus, you know that our model means you can stop at any point, raise your hand, disagree, push back. The reason we're here is because we really believe that if you wrestle together, if we do that, then actually we're going to increase the amount of truth that's produced in this room rather than just have me talk to you. But I will tell you that this series is a little bit more reflective than some of the other series we do. We just finished a series on the troubling images of God in the Old Testament. There was a lot of commentary and a lot of pushback. But last week surprised me. Last week I thought we would just intro the topic, tell you a little bit about what idols might be, just kind of get you to reflect a little bit. I even gave you this reflection card last week, and if you want one, there's a couple left in the back that just asks you to think, like, what's important to you? What do you daydream about when you're just there by yourself for a moment? What are the things that are on your mind? Like, what are your hopes? And could any of those things be pointing to the fact that you care about something a little too much? I was expecting to be reflective, but there was a lot of wrestling in this room last week. And I think part of that, this is a tougher subject than it seems because it comes a little too close to some of the things we want to protect in our heart. And when that happens, that's okay. Wrestle it out in here. I'd rather you do that and tell me you don't buy it than just nod and smile and leave and just ditch the whole talk right afterwards. We're not doing that. So why are we studying idolatry? I want you to know why we would spend this hour of God's time on this subject. Uh, I think we always have to justify the stewardship of our time. So first of all, I'm going to tell you that God, who created us, who knows us best, who would I would say is the designer and should know the instructions that are best for us, says that we should worship him and only him. We affirm that. I heard us sing some of it in those songs. I've been paying attention a lot to the songs we sing. How many times in songs we talk about giving everything and all of me and all those songs. We always sing those. But do we really do that? I know I said last week, you're not allowed to sing your own words whenever the words are on the screen. You have to follow along. So maybe you feel, maybe you just think, I just have to sing that. Some of us maybe drop out, but think about it. Do we really give all? Do we really want to, every part of us? We still struggle with idols that distract us from this wholehearted, single-minded devotion to God. I mean, that's actually what's called for. We kind of seem to make room for God. If you thought of a big pie graph, you're like, well, this is God. He's a big part of the graph. But we're supposed to live on a foundation that's holy Christ. I also said last week that idolatry is a problem not just because the idols compete with our love for God. But let's be really honest in this room. And we have been. And Abby's been the leader of this honesty. We really don't know how to love God. I mean, sure, we would all affirm that we do. But if I asked you how, we'd kind of be at a loss for words to describe it. Or maybe we feel like there should be a feeling inside of us somehow. We should feel it, and we don't sometimes. Or maybe we just get busy. Like, if I just do more things somehow. Some of us have been honest enough to say, I don't feel it, I don't understand it sometimes, so I just get busy. So I don't really know the best love for God, so I'll uh, do things. In absence of a better understanding, I'll just be busy. And I want to warn that sometimes, I mean, I love action, you know me. Uh, maybe too much. You know, we might get to the idol of busyness and I'll sit in the back and be quiet. But action sometimes masks the fact that we're having an internal struggle with we don't really know how the love is supposed to be expressed. Last week, I think what we struggled with the most is that most idols are good things that are made into ultimate things. That was a definition that Tim Keller gives. Good things that become <clears throat> ultimate things. And the struggle was some of you are like, well, why is that wrong? It's not until it becomes ultimate, until it starts to compete with your attention and your time and your focus on God. That's when it becomes wrong. So we looked at some definitions. I'll just pick one from last week at what an idol is. We said it was anything that was more important than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination, anything that you seek to give you what God should be giving you. You'll see tonight one of the themes will be something like security or comfort. Because we see in scripture that that's supposed to come from the Lord, but we find it in other places. That's an example of something that God should be giving us. So it's an indication. By the way, I can't generalize across all of your lives. Tonight's topic, you might think, I don't have a problem with this. We'll get to that in a moment. But one of these things that we hit on will probably be a problem, if not more than one. And again, I'm not standing up here to wag my finger at you. We're doing this so that we can do the soul work that's necessary to wrestle together so that we can say, oh, 
I didn't realize that that really touched me that way, that I actually was tempted to find my comfort and security or my meaning in that. Oh, I didn't realize that I had somehow let go of God in that area. And then we have to talk about what we do. I'm leaving all those hard questions to Morgan when he gets to his part. So any really, really difficult question, we'll just write it down. We'll hand it to Morgan. He'll answer all of them. So tonight, we're covering money. But let me tell you this first. A good question that I think we're going to answer in this series is, what's wrong with idolatry? I want you to just think about that for a moment. Because your first, your first answer might be, idolatry is bad. But I want to ask you something else. Why? Why is it bad? This should be a very important question because we just came out of a series where we saw that God dealt very harshly, yes, even ordered the killing of whole groups of people because they worshipped idols and because he was worried that his own people would be infected by idol worship. So for us today, is it still that important that we resist idols? Is it just one more thing that we shouldn't do as Christians? Just one more thing to put on the list? And I'm actually not going to answer this question right away. I don't want to give you an easy answer. I will tell you that I've read three books so far about idols, and nobody has really answered this question to my satisfaction. I keep searching through all the wisdom, like, what's so wrong with this? I mean, I know it's wrong, I know it's wrong, but I want to know what's the consequence. And it's hard to nail down the answer. And I think one of our contributions in this room is think. You're all very gifted people in whom the spirit resides. Let's think together by the end of this series, what's wrong with it? I'm just going to give you a couple verses to get you thinking, but I don't think that I'm going to answer it for you. I want you to wrestle with this because it's too simple. Paul, in two different places, says the following things. In 1 Corinthians 5.10 and Galatians 5.19, he makes a point that idolaters are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So it seems serious. But, just to kind of walk us off the edge for a minute, it is in a list of other things as well. But I don't know that that gives me too much comfort. Because it's in bad company. Like the other things it's with are like sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, witchcraft, you know, hatred, discord, jealousy. So we have to answer that question. Monique. Um, I mean, obviously, you can idolize anything, which is what we're doing this series on. But in the Bible, as things are written, like, was there a sense that when they talked about idolatry, it was specifically like a religion of worshiping a specific God other than God, like that type of practice? Is that what he's referring to? Or is it the broader spectrum, you know, meaning that we tend to place on it over the years or as of recently or whatever? It's a great question because we have a different historical context, right? Especially in the Old Testament, but even in the New a lot of the passages that we're dealing with are dealing with people who literally worshipped idols or other religions. But I don't know that that gets us out of the, the, the trouble, right? Because you still see people who are worshipping somebody other than God, right? Whether it's another God or whether the things that we now worship, like we might say, hey, I'm not going to literally set up an altar to romance. But I know many people who can't live and they've made that into their whole life, right? So maybe we wouldn't see a statute there. But the point is still the same, right? Because something is actually taking away from our direct focus and foundation on Christ, okay? So here's the question for tonight. Is money an idol in your life? Is money an idol in your life? You know, when I ask that question, you might have a number of different responses. So let me grab some from you and see if these fit. And then there may be others, but I want you to hear a few things and then I want you to tell me what you think. Your first answer might be, no way. I don't even have any money. I'm barely making it as it is. Does that mean that money can't be an idol? I think you could tell by the tone of my voice, probably not. <laughs> I'm so careful about what I spend, so there's no way it can be an idol. These sound like rationalizations we tell ourselves, don't they? We kind of check the condition of our heart once in a while when we hear that maybe we love money a little too much. And by the way, tonight I want to use money and possession almost interchangeably. I'm going to be talking about both. Because often in our society, possession is really what we want the money for. I don't think we just want to sit on a pile of it or have a money bath. Here's another answer you might have. Sure, 
I spend a lot, but I give generously. Yeah. I mean, you might look at my life and go, wow, you're kind of, you know, living pretty large there. But I give a lot. Another type of negotiation we have with ourselves and with God. Or your response might be, God knows my heart, and he knows that I love him more than money and my possessions. Might be totally true. Let me say again, money may not be an idol for you tonight. I don't know. I don't want to presume that it is for everybody. But I will tell you that it is the one that Jesus used when he set up the standard of you can't serve two masters. It is the one that he chose first and foremost. So let's look at a couple things that the scriptures say about it. I think that will be helpful to us. But I want to give you this quote real fast that just reminds us. This is Ron Blue. He writes, he says that a life story could be written from a checkbook. It reflects your goals, your priorities, your convictions, your relationships, and even the use of your time. A person who's been a Christian for even a short time can fake prayer, Bible study, evangelism, going to a church, and so on, but he can't fake what his checkbook reveals. That's actually a play on what Jesus said. Like, if you show me the treasure, I'll show you where your heart is. Is a twist on what Jesus said. So let's look at what Jesus said. In Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think it's so great that he uses this example because it focuses on the way that money grabs us almost unlike anything else. Money and possession is something that grabs so many of us. You can't serve God and money, God and mammon, God and material possession. Let's use them interchangeably, the way that he intended them to be. You can't. I think most of us think we can. Honestly, I think most of us think we can. Jesus also says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why money, that's why possession is an idol. Because where our treasure is, that's what we care about. That's where your heart follows. You could turn this on its head, that's a great thing to do. Some people who don't care about the Lord's priorities have found that when you start to put your treasure into the Lord's priorities, your heart actually follows. It's the good side of this equation. It's the flip side of this equation. But I think some of us doubt this is true. Here's wisdom from Ecclesiastes. The writer says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast their eyes on them? meaningless. The writer of Ecclesiastes is struggling with how do you find control in your life? How do you find something that you can use? And he's saying these things are not meaningful. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I will say in fairness, he goes on later in chapter 6 to say, charge those who are wealthy to do good with their wealth. So he doesn't say get rid of it, but it's the love of money that becomes the root of evil. And we should be fair, it's not money itself. Although I don't think money is neutral. Some people think, oh, money's neutral, it's what you do with it. I think money by itself is tempting. I don't think it's neutral. Uh, it just We just live in too much of a materialistic world. I think we always have. Again, from Jesus, watch out, be on your guard against all types of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Look at that last part. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Some of us are doing better at that than others. Some of us, including myself, we actually measure a great deal of how we're doing by what is around us. What? I mean, I know that up here, but in my heart, there's always a few more things I want. There's always a few more things that I'm using to feather my nest here in this temporary world at the cost of the treasure that I'm supposed to be laying in heaven. 
Jesus said, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. In context, coming right after he spent time explaining, count the cost of discipleship and make sure you have what it takes to follow me. Using a monetary example, if you remember the parable of the tower that was to be built using money. Once again, a high standard. You think, that's crazy. But we were just singing it a few minutes ago. Yes? I guess because I would ask the question of, is he literally saying you need to give it up, like put it in somebody else's hands or somewhere else, or is he saying that you need to be ready to let go of it at any moment because it's not yours to begin with? The second one closer, because I believe that what he's saying is you're still going to hang on to it. It's just not yours, right? right? And you're going to be ready to use it for me because that was what I gave it to you in the first place for, right? Because if you ask Jesus, like, tell me a little bit about the economy that you want your followers to use. He would say it's stewardship is the standard almost for everything, right? All comes from the Lord. You, my trusted disciples and followers, are managing, not owning everything I have given, right? So when I say to you, Anyone who does not give up everything he has, well, I mean, that should be theoretically easy because it's not yours to begin with. But our problem is as stewards, we often confuse possession with ownership. And we begin to start to negotiate and bargain with God about how much we're going to give back to him. When really, he's asking for everything. But he's given us everything. Uh, I think the place where people get tripped up with this is because they feel like, oh, so you are asking me to live in a tent. No. Probably I'm asking you to be productive in your life and produce even more things for the kingdom as we see in the parable of the talents. But the problem is most of us have probably used 99% of it for our lives and very little for the kingdom. And that's where we have become bad stewards. That's where we're not giving up everything, right? You know, I think that we're not asking for people to live like John the Baptist. I think his, although... <laughs> I want to be careful because even a follower said to him, I want to follow you wherever you go. And his response is, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. I don't know that he called every follower in the history of the church to follow to do exactly that. Uh, but he at least modeled that himself. Right? And then, of course, gave up everything, including his life. But I mean, just in terms of material possession, we see the response that he gives. So, yes... It doesn't, it's not so much about the giving up physically, like I'm putting it in a trust or I'm giving it to a church and I have nothing. It's more the I'm holding everything up for him. Everything belongs to you. And you will, I'm using it all for you, but yeah, I have to live and I have to eat and I have to produce. Chris. I think though the verse right before that kind of sheds light about that verse because the verse before that talks about if you're going to go to war, you know, you would have to account what it might cost. And when you go to war, you don't go to war thinking, I, I want to lose it all. You go to war being willing to, to expend what you have to to win the war. And I think that sheds light on that saying, not necessarily do you have to go right now and give everything away, but be willing to let it go in order to be to gain salvation. Right. Back up even more verses in the context, and you'll see he's talking about the tower, right? And in that context, what he's really saying is, be careful that you do not begin to build, otherwise you end up being a fool, right? You end up building a monument to your own foolhardiness because you didn't have what it takes to finish. But notice what is it that you don't have enough of? Money. Now, he's using money in, in, a, in a parable. That's why the everything is even more disturbing because he's not using it metaphorically anymore. He actually steps out and says, in the same way. Like, no longer in my parable about building a tower, no longer specifically dealing with the issue, the analogy of going to war. He's just saying, now, in the same way, you consider all the resources you have to make sure that you have the life to live that follows me the right way, right? Abby. Okay, so my question is, like, I understand the whole, like, yes, I'm willing to give up my possessions. Like, awesome, great mentality. But if nobody asks for them, do I still have to give them up? Like, is it my responsibility to seek out giving or just be willing to give? Because like, I mean, I get a you know letter from someone going on a mission trip. They ask me, I write my check, I'm happy, I send it in, it's great. But like, I don't just give to the poor. Like, do they have to ask? Is that a sign of me not being willing? Well, it probably is a sign of us not understanding the nature of the stewardship that we have in our hands. So, for example, you think, if I had this conversation with the Lord in my mind, 
I'm like, look, I'm not getting any mailings asking me to give to any trips this summer for mission trip. And I'm already giving some to my church, whatever it is. What is it that you want me to do? Doesn't that sound like what does the Lord require of you? Right? Doesn't that sound like what is it that you ask me to do? And I don't want to make it sound like stewardship is limited to monetary resource. Because stewardship also includes like the time that we do. The ways we use our talents and our gifts and our passions and everything he's given us is stewardship. You know that because we've been talking about it. That's stewardship too. It's just tonight we're going to focus on money. And so don't hear me as saying stewardship is money. But in stewardship, if you look at what is it that you want from me, Lord? What is it that you want? Uh, I mean, you could start with a small list like visit those in prison. Heal those who are sick. Like clothe those who are naked. Like just start with those three, all right? And think, how much of my resource could I give to doing that, asked or not? And if I said, Lord, I come to make account with you at the end of my life, you gave me all of these things, and what I spent my time doing is visiting people in prison. I don't think he's going to say, oh, that wasn't good, right? I don't think that's, oh, you totally missed it, you know? I wanted you over here doing this, right? And I don't think you have to wait for the letter to come from prison fellowship ministries or whatever in the mail and say, okay, I'm giving to that you yourself might decide it's not just about giving to charities. You might decide, no, I have skills and talents. They're going to allow me to go out into the field and create business or create economies to help people or to create whatever it is, opportunities for people to help themselves. That's still stewardship, and I can tell you that resources are required even there. Right? And we hold those all the time in tension because it's not as simple as who do I give to. My wife and I sit down together and we make a budget and we talk about where is the money going. The money we spend on ourselves, which is far too much. The money that we should be holding up to spend for the kingdom, which I hope increases every single year. And that might include something like inviting everybody over to our house every Wednesday and cooking dinner, right? Because we have to set a budget aside to afford that, to have 15 to 20 people every single week come to your house to eat. You think that is something we have to be able to do and steward for, right? But we ask ourselves, even in that, is that money better used in something else? Are we not being good stewards, right? So you have to ask in every part, and you don't just see it in places where you say, okay, I'm going to give it to a church or a nonprofit. It's in your whole life. This is good. Let's get more practical. Job says, if I've put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained, we always think that we made the money. <laughs> we earned it. Then those also would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. God wants to be the source of our security and comfort. I have to confess to you, that is really hard for me. It is so difficult to think, it doesn't matter what happens to the bank account. I don't care because God will take care of me. It's very hard for me to believe that. Yes. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how being a good steward and saving what I mean, I, I see the tension between like saving for a rainy day and trusting too much in the security of the money. But I'm not sure where to point. How do you figure out where to go on the line? We're saving too much. You know, we should be doing more of it. Well, if the source of our security comes by looking at how much we have, they'll go, hey, look, I feel secure and comfortable because I have enough in the bank right now that even if a storm should come into my life, I could probably get by. If we put our security there, then our security is not in God. That is the definition of idolatry. But in terms of, Ben, your question is really good because I believe there's a continuum. The Lord gives us an analogy or a parable where he says the one who hoarded too much the parable of the rich fool who had stored up barns and says, now I will live life easy. I will eat, drink, and be merry. That is the person whose life was demanded of them. And again, Jesus stepping out of the parable and talking directly as an editorial comment, not in the parable, says this is how it's going to be with anybody who is not rich towards God, who basically hoards wealth. You know? Okay, so we can clearly agree that hoarding is on one side. And way over here might be something like good stewardship that allows you to have enough resource that you can be a productive steward in the kingdom and that you're not holding it so tightly that you can't give it up when it's required of you. 
And I believe there's a tension, and I believe that's the way we're supposed to always live. Because I think Jesus, more often than not, put one fork over here and one and said, live in this tension so that you don't ever feel comfortable like, oh yeah, got it. Oh yeah, I'm, that's, that's easy, check. Right? That you ask that question every single day. I do. Because I look and go, we do have savings. At what point are we holding on to this too much? And actually, one of the questions I'm going to ask might hint at it in a moment as to how you feel about that savings. I want to be clear, though, about being a good steward. Being a good steward does not mean I'm going to live just on the minimal thing I can do. Because sometimes being a good steward, we have to remember Paul's words about idleness. Like, you need to work harder. Why? Why do you not need to be idle? He said, why, why is idleness so bad? Because those who can afford to work more should do so so they can give money to take care of the others who are less fortunate. He actually specifically commands that. And I think that's completely consistent with the stewardship principle that Jesus is giving us in the parable of the talents. Like, you doubled the money, good for you. You doubled the money, good for you. You just sat on it. Not good. So even in situations like that, I don't want to be heard as saying like, that you should just live on the absolute minimum because their specific commandment says, no, go beyond that. But for what purpose? If you said, I have a savings account to be able to take care of us so that we don't fall into need at every single moment, I would ask you, is that for your security or is that wise stewardship? And if you could tell me it was wise stewardship, I'd probably say, yeah, that's fine. To a point. Ask yourself these questions. They're on the slip in front of you. And I want to hear from you on these. Some of them might bother you, and I want to hear that you're bothered. Do you ever wish to have things that only wealthy people seem to enjoy? Do you spend significant time thinking about things that you want to purchase? Anyone in that camp? By the way, not, not every one of these things means, oh, idolater. <laughs> it means, ask why. Why is that? Are there things that you believe will make you happier if you're able to purchase them? That highlights in our heart, is there some belief that stuff makes us happier? I think most of us know that it probably does. It probably does for a limited period of time. But I mean, to deny that stuff doesn't make us happy would be to live some ascetic lifestyle, you know, like and wear like a hair shirt and flog ourselves all day long in a monastery. <laughs> And I want you to know that I believe the Lord wants you to enjoy the things that he has created for us in this life. I just think he wants us to enjoy them because of him and through him. And there's a real tricky line there. Abby. So what about like gift giving? Because like, I really enjoy purchasing things, like a possession for another person, for the purpose of them enjoying that possession. Like, is that bad? Or is that just cultural? I could think of a way it can be bad. It could be buying into the culture, right? Like we all know there's holidays that have been created just so that we can go buy stuff that we would have never bought for anybody, right? We know that, right? That could be buying into the culture. Or you could say, no, I really enjoy blessing these people with this thing. But I got to tell you, sometimes when I hear that, I'm not saying it applies to you. I'm saying I've heard it used like spiritualized materialism. Like, I just love blessing other people. It's like, maybe you love shopping and maybe you love the feeling that it gives you when you give to somebody else and they feel that gratitude, right? That could be bad, that could be good. All I'm saying tonight is check your heart and you have to make that decision. Like, you sit before the Lord on these things. I am not your judge on them, but I'm just giving you the guidelines to think, does this pull up my heart in any way? Joseph. I have another question here. Being, do you justify your purchases by saying it's for God or for the kingdom when it really is just for yourself? Okay, can you give me an example? Okay, yeah, for, I guess for me, running game nights and things, um, oftentimes I'll be like, yeah, I'm buying this game, it's for the community, it's for the group to game. No, it's really just because I want the game. Yeah, yeah, we've done that in our, in our family, for sure. Like, there are things we even do that I think might be considered bad stewardship that we think, oh, but we're doing it for the group. Yeah, I mean, if I sit under the light of intense scrutiny, probably wouldn't hold up. Do you find yourself purchasing things that will make you feel more comfortable in this life? Think about the comfort issue. Do we buy things purely for comfort? Now, look, I'm not saying don't buy a can opener. You know, just, you know, you gotta, right? I'm not, not talking about that. I'm talking about, 
I'm talking about there are times I catch myself doing things purely out of comfort. I could go into examples all day long, but you could think of things that are not, I don't know if they're needs, they might even be beyond wants. They just really are purely for comfort. And there you just have to ask, am I seeking comfort? Just ask. Might not resolve it, am I seeking comfort? Do I find my comfort in things? Would I be disappointed if someone took those things from me? Do you feel more secure when you have money in your possession? Do you feel anxious when you don't have enough money? Look, I, I think it's obvious that we feel anxious when we don't have enough money to pay the rent, when school tuition fees are coming up and they're not there, right? When we're looking at something that we really need and we realize how expensive it is, of course. But Jesus' words were, don't be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Don't be anxious. I will tell you that my anxiety level rises and falls sometimes depending on how much business I have. If I go home on Friday and I've got a couple clients that are really starting to do some stuff, I go home for the weekend, I'm like, hey, this is going to be a good weekend, right? Because everything's set. Is that what my security and comfort should be in? What happens when I lose every single client? What happens when I'm drained of all my material possession? What happens if it burns to the ground? What do I say then? Am I going to be a nervous wreck? <laughs> I will be. I'll tell you now, I will be. But that is not a good model for you to see. Not the one that would put their faith in God. And I'm asking you to do something that's really, it's very difficult for us, especially in this country. Are we wrestling with idols? Yes. Do you envy others that have more than you do? I have friends that I grew up with. One of them used to sleep on the floor in my room. That's how poor he was at the time. Today, he lives in a house I can't even imagine walking from one end to the other of. You know what? Our friendship was affected by the envy in my heart. As I was researching this series and thinking through the places in my heart where I hold on to idols, I realized that one of the reasons we're not friends anymore, despite all the years that we've been friends, is because he's done so much better than I have. And there is envy in my heart. What about you when you see something that somebody has the same thing that you do? Does that bother you? I mean, other than you guys showing up to a dance in the same dress. I know that freaks women out totally. <laughs> do you have a hard time spending money on other people? I mean, think about it. Do you withhold money? Maybe you're okay spending it on you, even though you feel guilty, but you still somehow do it. But when it comes to spending for other people, like you're trying to find the way to spend the least amount of money on them without getting socially embarrassed? Comment? Yeah, I don't, it kind of relates money. I don't know. I'm just going to put it out there because I'm thinking, like, how do you counteract the money being an idol? And I really was raised, and this is true, and that's why it's not so much of an issue for me. My parents always were like, you know, marry for love or put your, like, put more stock in people and relationships and that, if you lost everything, you'd still be happy. It doesn't matter. And, like, they really were, like, do not get stuck on materialism. Do not. And so they're giving me really good coping tools. It's true. People are more important. You know, being with someone that you love and all these things and we could lose everything, but we have each other. But then I'm thinking about it. Is that an idol? Because your comfort is like, well, at least I still have my husband or my family or my friends. But at some point, it's like, what level of comfort? Because even God himself created Adam, right? And was like, it's, he existed, Adam existed, there wasn't sin yet, and he's like, it's not good for you to be alone. Made him a wife. Don't hear me saying that a husband, a family, relationships, people are bad. They're good, they're gifts from God. He created them to enjoy them, right? But when they begin to compete with your love for God, with your time with God, with your security in finding your comfort from God. Look, if you lost somebody in your life, there's no way you're not gonna grieve. All right? But is your life going to be over? For some people it will. All right? It's interesting that if you look at the things that Job lost, what did he lose first? All his kids. Right? It's the first thing that was taken from him, and then he was slowly stripped away of other things like health and possessions and all these other things, right? Because anything can be taken, and maybe, just maybe, hinting at the solution of why idols are so bad, it may be that God knowing what's best for us is saying anything 
other than me is uncertain in the end if you put your hope in that thing, not the thing itself is bad. I want us to hear that God is a father and he loves his children and he loves his children when they enjoy the creation that he made for us. And that includes relationships and people and even things. But he also knows that all those things can be taken and that our hope should not be there, right? I mean, he never commanded people in the scriptures to do nothing but worship him all day long. So, caution. Going to what Ben was kind of talking about, would you have a hard time lending money to somebody if they asked you for a loan? How about a sizable loan? I mean, you know, you might be thinking, yeah, I mean, if somebody needed 100 bucks, I could do that. What if somebody needed, I'm just going to make up a number in my mind. You have $40,000 in the bank. I know you're thinking, no way, yeah, but you have $40,000 in the bank, okay? Because you've saved well and you've done well and one of your friends wants to borrow 30 grand. <laughs> If, if, you, if you blurted out an inadvertent giggle, idolatry with money might be an issue in your heart. <laughs> Jolene, come back since we're going. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because like, I'm obviously not a rich person. That's no secret. Um, and, and it's not that I have, have a problem giving or lending or anything because I am one of those people that would probably make excuses to spend more on other people than I do on myself. It's like, oh, it's okay if I drop 50 bones because it's not for me. Like, I'm that person. But at the same time, like, I also think to myself, well, what do you need this money for? An operation? It's all yours. You, you want to adopt a kid? It's all yours. You know, if you're just going to blow it on whatever, no, not so much. Okay, I love everything you said, except I will caution that at times what people have done is talk to me about the wisdom of giving it to certain people or others. And there's another one of those things where I go, love the attitude, but, and I'm not saying this is your issue, but just be careful sometimes we tend to use the wisdom of making the donation or the gift or the loan as a reason to struggle. I don't think it's your issue knowing you, right? But we have to be careful because I've seen people say, well, but you know, if I give it to them, they might just blow it, right? You've heard that. Now, I'm not telling you to give to somebody who you know is going to harm themselves, but most often we don't really know. And we use that as a reason to hang on. So there may be the other indication. Come back. And if I had $5 on me, and it was the last $5 I have on me, I have no problem giving it to them because they know God will provide for me. But it's funny when you think about it, okay, sure, but let's say you have 40000 in your bank account. Like, that's a whole other Oprah, you know? And so you got 40000 40, in your bank account, and now somebody wants 30000 of it, or even 40000 of it, and now are you, it is easy to give that away as opposed to the $5 that is the last cent that you have to your name. I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, because I know that, that, that uh, it takes a long time to earn money. People work hard for it. And so when you look at it in terms of like, oh my God, $40,000, I had to work for how many years to get that? Because let's be real. You know, if you're like a teacher, you work in education, it's going to take you like about three years to make that. All right. So, but in that case, what I hear is I made this money, I earned it. And that is exactly the principle of stewardship that we've been talking about, about everything belongs to the Lord. Even the sweat of our own brow comes because he gave us a brow. Go ahead. I think we have to start by saying that would be really hard. Hard to do. Yeah. Okay. I'd be shocked if anyone in here did it. Yeah, I could do a $40,000 loan, like, no problem. Okay. Heather. I think that the more money you have, the harder it gets. And that might sound cliche, but I feel like when you have $5 and that's all you have, you've already been living at a place where God is providing for you daily, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so it's way easier to give that $5 because you've already seen it give you $500 over the last couple of weeks. You know, but when you are sitting pretty and um, somebody asks for that money and you've been providing for yourself for this whole time, like, there's something you said about that, that when we have enough money, God, not that he doesn't want to bless us, but we're taking care of ourselves. So he's like, all right, just taking care of yourself. I don't need to give the money. You know, and so there's, some, there's something to the fact that the more money we hold on to, the less room we give God to give us. Christian Smith is a, is a sociologist at Notre Dame. He wrote a very interesting book called Passing the Plate. One of the, some of the research he did, and all research seems to confirm this, is the more money you make, the less you give as a Christian. I will also tell you honestly, when I was a student, I didn't understand the tempting nature of money until I started making money. And the more that I made, the more I was tempted to kind of like, just keep that number growing and never go down. 
And that is idolatry and temptation with money in my own life, where you could say that's where you fall into idolatry. Peter. That what you said about the, um, the wisdom of you know, the loan or not, you know, um, kind of struck a chord of me. And I, I think uh, I hear a lot of um, advice on both sides of this when it comes to, you know, um, a decision on money or not. And sometimes it'll be like, okay, should, should a young couple who's just starting out in life, like, tithe at all if it's going to, like, literally put them in the poorhouse? I've, I've heard, you know, maybe a few more pastors say, like, well, maybe not there than, like, other ones saying, like, yeah, do it, get poor. But, like, I kind of hear that sort of wrestling um, and have heard that kind of issue cited as, as a legitimate reason and, like, as an excuse that's, that's used. The whole, you know, is this the right thing for me in my situation? Obviously, there's not, like, a perfect litmus test, but how do you, how do you weigh, like, is that wisdom? Is that just, like, the, you know, golem in the back of my head? It's a, yeah, it is. It is the golem. I mean, it is the, the my precious. Yeah, because that, right? <laughs> you are talking about, like, the struggle we have with, with if I give this up, like, I'm not establishing myself. So there again, I'm struggling with my wisdom is once I establish myself, then I'll be able to give money. And James would say to you right away, he would say, be careful those of you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this town, make this amount of money, and then we'll spend time there. And he's like, what is your life? Your life is like a mist. It might disappear. You don't know how much time you have to be negotiating with yourself or with the Lord like that. In the past, what I've said is, if you're on debt, like student loans, you probably shouldn't be tithing money that isn't yours, especially if you're borrowing from parents, borrowing from people. But if you're making anything, I don't know that the concept of coming before the Lord and offering the first fruits to the Lord, or even just saying, everything I have belongs to you. You have all power. You don't need any resources. You could do whatever you wanted with my life. I trust in you totally. I'm going to give a portion of what I make to you. The heck with all the wisdom of the world telling me all these other things. Let me go this way first because there's some people that are waiting. Go ahead. Kind of related to that, like, so tithing, like, I really believe that 10% isn't going to, 10% of what you make I don't think is going to throw you in the poorhouse. I mean, I'm not saying it, it's not hard, depending, believe me, I know, like, I, making ends meet, like, that's like, doesn't even begin to describe how I'm living right now. Like, I get it. 10%, I think I could do that, so I feel like that's a responsibility that God placed in our heart to give 10% to him, however you give it. So that's tithing, which is different than kind of what we're talking about because if I tithe 10 or even 15% um, and I'm very disciplined my whole life and I'm a working class family, not even living cushy, working class family and I have $40,000 saved in my savings account and I do tithe, I do what's required of me and I have let's say two kids. I'm thinking about retirement, I'm thinking about their college education, I'm thinking about all these things. And so I am giving what God has required me to give. I understand it's about the attitude as well, and we should be willing to share. But it's like, where is that line? We've been talking about that line is very difficult. Because the reality of life is yes, and I've seen it in my life, God does provide, he does. But people also go hungry, and people also die of starvation all over the world, and people lose their houses, and people, you know, like, can't pay for school and have to drop classes and so like I see it like it happens I'm not saying God doesn't provide but these things happen and so there is a responsibility to all of that agreed and I would come back and say that the reason that so much of that takes place not all of it we're not going to cure all suffering it's not in our power right then we'd be making ourselves into gods to think that we could but we are not doing what we should like if we as even believers actually lived out what Jesus told us to do much, not all, much of the suffering that you're talking about would be taken care of in our own midst and outside of it. And by the way, I don't want to make this talk about giving. What I'm saying is if though you're in that place where you're saying, oh, but I've got kids and there's a college fund and those things, I'm not saying you liquidate that to avoid idols. What I'm saying is you ask the question, is this good stewardship? And if it is, good. But if you're having trouble, you just ask the question, Lord, am I clinging too closely to this? And if we are giving what's barely, if you want to call it that, required of us, it's important, I guess, to acknowledge that you still can be idolizing money even when you are faithfully giving. 100%, and I'm living proof of it. Yes, Joseph. Okay, I've got a couple of things. One, going back to Julian's thing, like giving the last $5, all that. Yeah, it's, of course it's easier to give the last $5. You're already at the point of God has to provide everything. You're reliant on everything, on God for everything at that point. 
Whereas when you're making thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, it's it is much harder. And then I think there um, was there's a cultural context there in that in in the ambivalent era, um, it more it was more a land-based economy. People had land, so they weren't necessarily giving their land away. In the same way, I mean, it, yes, they were, but um, oftentimes they were not. Right. And in the same way for us, we we don't have land, so we're paying for housing. So I think there is kind of a kind of a similar thing there. Right. I would say to you, in the New Testament, we saw people give up their land and give it to the apostles, but they were the people that were trying to take care of the others. So one principle of stewardship giving and also holding money is, if you're a person in need, you should expect the body of believers around you to take care of you. It is a shame that in this country and others, we can't even take care of our own, let alone the people outside of our borders, because we cling too closely. That's one thing. But look even in the Old Testament. He commanded there be forgiveness of debts and release of slaves and give them some of the crops and give them some land. You could even use it, but yes, your point is there is a difference and it is cultural. Yes? Great. Um, with regards to giving away money, um, how would you react to the, the whole thing with like, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, you feed him for a lifetime? Um, what I mean is uh, it seems to me that giving money away is less important than uh, your actions and how you treat people and the way that you live your life in general rather than just giving away your possessions. I would agree with you, and there's a lot of people here too that I would tell me, hey, let's not just talk about giving charity, let's give something that is actually sustainable and that will help people develop. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. However, the question for us though is are we willing to give, right? Not is it the best thing for them. It may not even be the best thing for them. But Jesus didn't often consider that question. I mean, he said like when a man asks you, you loan him the money, right? If someone asks you for a coat, give him the cloak as well, right? His kind of giving was lavish, you guys saying extravagant a little bit ago, right? Because that has to do with the condition of our heart. Like, I hold it with open hands. Yes, you're right. You might have to say, maybe the best thing isn't for me to buy you fish. Maybe it's to teach you how to fish. Okay. But even that takes resource. And I'm not talking about the best ways to give or develop tonight. I'm talking about, does it tug at your heart? If it tugs at your heart, then maybe we find too much of it in money. That's all. Just ask the question because it tugged at mine. Maybe it tugs at yours. A couple more questions to ask. Could someone fairly say that you are frugal? Sometimes frugality, we're like, I'm simple. I live simply, right? <laughs> frugal people sometimes have huge savings accounts. Sometimes, not always. Some frugal people are frugal because they have to by necessity. Some of us, though, as we start to actually get resource, become very frugal. Why? Is it because we think that money gives us stability, control, security? Do you think about making a decision based on whether you can afford it or not? Instead of really spending time thinking, is this good stewardship? Is this what the Lord wants me to do? Or you go, ah, come on, it's like 10 bucks. I can afford that. Is it really a system of sitting down with the Lord and figuring out what is the best thing that you want me to be doing with my income as opposed to, oh, I can't afford that, so there's no way. Or I can't afford that, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. That means that you're in control. Are you disappointed when you've bought something and a better version comes out just a little bit later? Anyone have an iPad 2? And all of a sudden the better one comes out and you're kind of feeling like, dang it. <laughs> I mean, there's no matter what car you buy, they're going to come out with a better one. Does it disappoint you? It won't disappoint everybody in here. But for some, if it does, then you have to think, why is my hope based in this thing? Why does it bother me? Isn't the thing that I bought good enough? Like, why do I always need the better one? What is that about my heart? Do you feel strange when you buy something and a friend buys the same thing or a better thing? Some of you are like, no, nah, I don't care. Good for them. Good. Just questions. Do you get upset when something gets damaged, breaks, or wears out? I mean, of course, all of us maybe will have something that we care about, but isn't everything going to break? Isn't everything going to be consumed in the end? I mean, this particularly bothers me. Like, I want to buy something. I want it to last forever. Just think about what I just said. I want it to last forever. I mean, what am I going to buy on this side of eternity that's going to last forever? Especially with a two and a half year old daughter in that. <laughs> like, what's how's that gonna happen? You guys have been to our house, like practically a museum of stuff to break. Let me just ask the last one. Do you give away enough of your income that you find yourself stretching yourself to do it? Does it really make you worry sometimes? Am I going a little crazy here by the amount that I'm actually giving? Or spending for the kingdom? It doesn't have to be giving to a church, it could be just using for the things that you do in the kingdom. 
Here's my closing thought for you. I think money is kind of like what Tim Keller calls a surface idol. It's a good way to test something that's even deeper about you that you're searching for. Because I don't think any of us really just walk around with a stack of bills going, <laughs> right? It's what it represents. So let me just throw some up for you to think about. Some are deeper than others way down. Like, is it a form of greed? Which, as Morgan pointed out, covetousness, greed is idolatry. Does money represent a way of power or a way of even controlling our lives or finding security? I mean, you have to dig deep and think, is my security found in something other than God? As I'm doing the research, I have to tell you, yes. Yes, parts of my security are entirely connected to how I'm doing financially, materially. And that's why we have to struggle together. What does that mean? How do we help one another in that way? We can wrestle with one another and come up with great comments and truth so that this isn't just my thoughts, it's yours. But we've got to resolve this in a few weeks. What does it mean and what are we going to do about it? Money could be a way to find even beauty. Whether it's beauty of things or even your own. What does it say about us deep down inside? Closing verse from Hebrews says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I want to thank those of you who don't struggle with money as an idol for putting up with this discussion tonight because maybe you think this is not my issue exactly but I hope that you started to see how we could take apart an issue and look for the idols that surround it. Next week we're going to talk about sex, love, romance as maybe idols in our life, maybe some relationships to see if we find meaning in those and then Morgan's going to take over with success. And the cool part is, yes, to be even more practical than this, at the end, Morgan's going to walk us through how do we identify these things and replace them? How do we work to actually get back into alignment with the original plan of you are my God? My hope is found in you. Maybe by the end of the series, when we sing the songs about everything and all and all those things, We'll actually pay attention to those words when they flash up on a PowerPoint and check our heart and say, I mean this more and more every day. That's my goal. I want to mean this more and more every single day. Let me pray for us and we'll go back and worship. Lord, because your Holy Spirit is the gift that you have given us for your church, I plead with you that you would Use that from the inside of our hearts to change us this week. That just something tonight, if it pulled on our heart in any way, that you would continue to use that to work on it. Lord, that we might even take with us the thoughts that you provoked and do the work with you. Lord, in the end, I'm thankful that it is your spirit that empowers us, that we do not have to strive endlessly, that we do not have to labor under guilt Lord, you love us enough to grant us your spirit to be the transforming power of our lives. And so, Spirit, we beg you, transform us. We want to return to a place where more and more every day of our hope and our trust and our security and our love is firmly in you, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen.